Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Joshua chapter 20. We're still doing the incredible journey that we're on, and this is part 12. Can you believe it's been 12 weeks in it? I think we've got about four more at least. I'm just getting really excited the further I, I study. Today we're going to talk about resting in Christ, our refuge. Resting in Christ, our refuge. And like I said, I want you to think of everything that we're going to talk about today and how it's just going to lead us right in to the Lord's Supper. Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. Now, when they were still on the other side of the Jordan, God told Moses to set aside six cities of refuge. That's Exodus chapter 21, verse 13. That's Numbers chapter 35, verses 6 through 34. These six cities were to be the three were to be three cities on one side of the Jordan and three cities on the other side of the Jordan. Now that the tribes had been dispersed into, into the land, as we, uh, we're not going to go back through 15 through 19, but that's what's taking place, Joshua can now assign these cities. But now what was the purpose of these cities? Verse 3, that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally, without premeditation, may flee there, and they shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, let's see if we can better understand this. To explain this, even before the law was ever given to Moses, God had laid down the basic rule, which was that those who shed blood would pay for their crime by their own blood. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 5 says, Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it, and from every man, from every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. Now this principle was stated several times in the law. But God made a distinction between murder and manslaughter. It was the responsibility of each family to see to it that murders that happened within their family were avenged. The problem was this. They couldn't always tell whether or not the murder was intentional or maybe it was unintentional. Thus, the difference of manslaughter and murder. You say, well, how in the world could somebody kill somebody accidentally? Glad you asked that question. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 4, gives you a case of what could happen. Now, this is the case of the manslayer who may flee there and live when he kills his friend unintentionally, not hating him previously. It's interesting that he brings this up several times, not hating him previously. 1 John 3.15 says, that the man who hates his brother is a murderer. And you begin to see the tie right here. He says in Deuteronomy 19.5, As when a man goes into the forest with his friend to cut wood, and his hand swings the axe to cut down the tree, and the iron head slips off the handle and strikes his friend so that he dies, he may flee to one of these cities and live. Otherwise, the avenger of blood might pursue the manslayer in the heat of his anger and overtake him because... The way is long and, his, and take his life, though he was not deserving of death. 
since he had not hated him previously. What he's saying is in the heat of anger, somebody might mistake the fact that it was an accident and go and take the life of an innocent person for a capital crime. So there were six cities of refuge. The roads were well marked so that everybody knew where these cities were. Three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other. Verse 4, Joshua 20. He, said, he says, he shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city and they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his own house to the city from which he fled. Now, just to sum that up, any person who took the life of another unintentionally, no hatred, no, no premeditation to it, could flee there and find asylum and a fair trial with no fear of the avenger. That's what these cities were for. But only, and this is very critical, only as long as the high priest was alive could they find refuge in that city from these avengers. What a picture we have here of our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ and how he and he alone is our refuge. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge, we who have taken refuge, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope that is set before us. Now let me see how we can compare this. The word gospel in scripture, in the Greek language, is the word ephagelion. It means good news. That's, that's what it means. It's a, it's a good word. But before anybody would be even interested or want to hear what the good news is, it would probably be helpful for him to understand the bad news. The bad news is that man is born with no basic good in him at all. Now, I want you to understand that is not politically correct, but that is biblically accurate. And we've got to understand the difference. Uh, years ago, there was a book written, I'm okay, you're okay. And I began to see the bumper stickers everywhere I would go. I'm okay, you're okay. Wow, woo-woo. Wrong. We are not okay. The bad news is that all mankind is not okay because he's born into sin and therefore eternally separated from God. You say, how in the world could that happen? Paul tells us in Romans 5.12 when he says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Why? Because all sin. The one man that Romans is talking about that infected the whole human race is found in Genesis. His name is identified as Adam in Genesis 2.20. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. The first time you see the word Adam come up, for, but for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Adam's the first human being on this earth. In chapter 2, verse 7 of Genesis, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground 
and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. By the way, that is also not politically correct, but biblically accurate. That's what the Word of God teaches us. When God breathed into Adam, he was filled with both physical life and spiritual life and could have fellowship with God. He was placed into a beautiful garden named Eden and was told by God that he would, could freely eat of the fruit of all the trees in that garden with the exception of one. In chapter 2, verse 16 of Genesis, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Can't you just see the devil that has been cast out of heaven lurking in the shadows saying, now is my chance. Now is my chance. This command, if violated, was to result in death. But that was not just physical death. That was also spiritual death and separation from God. Ironically, with all the trees that God said you can eat freely, the fruit, Adam did not obey this command. He ate of the forbidden tree. That very day when he sinned, he didn't immediately physically die. But death began to work in his body. That was a progressive thing. However, instantly, instantly when he disobeyed God, he died spiritually and was eternally separate at that point. As we mentioned, the bad news gets worse when we realize that all mankind is yet unborn in the loins Adam. It's still, we still hadn't been here. We hadn't been born. His sin affected the whole human race to where every man and every woman born into the world since that day was born into sin. All mankind is born under the curse of sin, which brings on death and then judgment of eternal separation. The devil who deceived Eve, who influenced Adam, once sin happened, had the keys to death and to judgment. He became the avenger of sin, just like the avenger in the book of Joshua, the avenger that would chase after the one who was guilty. He became the avenger of sin that has stalked mankind with the fear of death since that very time. He gleefully points at every person that's born into this world, and as they're born and make their first cry, he says, guilty, guilty. So the bad news. We got some bad news. There's no good in man whatsoever when he's born into this world. Whatever politically people say, biblically it says they're wrong. There is none. But we have good news. You have to understand the bad news to understand the good news. Jesus Christ, the eternal, eternal Son of God, the one we've sung about all morning long, came into this world as a man. And I refuse to use the word God-man anymore because it should be God incarnate. That's the better word to use. The Dalai and all these other people are saying they're the God-man. No, there's only one, and he's the God incarnate. He died on a cruel cross so that we might be free from the curse of sin and death. Don't you love Hebrews 2.14? Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, talking about Jesus, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, verse 15 says, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all of their lives. God's appointed Savior for all of mankind. His refuge, His refuge, our refuge from sin and judgment is the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 says, and there is 
There is salvation in no one else, speaking of Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among which men must be saved. But the sinner must receive Christ into his heart. And then once there is, he has a refuge in him. But if he does not do that, there is no refuge for sinners. There is no nirvana. There is no place out there. There is nothing out there except eternal separation from God unless the Lord Jesus has become our refuge and we have bowed before him. Now the way to to each city of refuge was clearly marked. Everybody knew the way. And so they always wanted to make it clear where these cities were, just like the plan of salvation is as clear as, 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 as it can be in Scripture. In Deuteronomy 19, 3, you shall prepare the roads for yourself and divide into three parts the territory of your land, which the Lord your God will give you as a possession, so that any manslayer may flee there. When we bow before the Lord Jesus and we believe in him, there's no need at that time for an investigation or a trial because we know we're guilty. The moment you bow before him, you know you're guilty. God the Spirit has revealed into your heart that you're a sinner. And we bow and we admit it. We admit it. Salvation is our admitting our guilt as sinners and throwing ourselves on the mercy of the one who paid the debt for us on the cross. The beautiful thing is in comparing the cities of refuge in the Old Testament is that our high priest will never die. (laughs) Isn't that a beautiful picture? And we are forever secure in him. He's our high priest who makes intercession for each of us as believers that have received him. Now, the names of the six cities give us such a beautiful picture of Christ who is our refuge and high priest. He's not just the city. He's the the high priest. He's everything. He is our refuge. That's the only place we can run to because there in him we have security in the refuge that Jesus is for us. Let's look at the six cities. Each one of them tell us something about the Lord Jesus. First of all, it tells us that Christ is our holy place. Christ is our holy place. Joshua 27. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali. In the, in the Hebrew, the last syllable is usually the strongest. And so sometimes I, I, I mispronounce these things. But it's Kadesh and, and, and it's in the hill country of Naphtali. The word Kaddish in the Hebrew means a holy place. Now, the word holy that means that which is pure, that which is without defilement, that which is without corruption of any kind. Christ is our holy place. In him at salvation, there are no accusations that the avenger of, of, of death and of judgment can make at us. Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 33, And the emphasis on what he says here is on the first word, who. It says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. And if he justifies, he's the only one who can make a charge. And he's not going to make that charge. Verse 34, who is who is the one who condemns? Who? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather was raised. Who is at the right hand of God who also intercedes for us? And in verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Romans 8.37 says, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. 
I came across a statement this past week in my study that has rocked my world. It's a statement by Spurgeon. Spurgeon had such a flowery language. I, I wished I had it's a partial gift that he had of expression because it paints a picture for you. And here's what he said. No thread of our wicked flesh can ever mar the perfect fabric of God's divine grace in Jesus Christ. That old accuser that comes when we fail and points his finger and says, guilty, guilty, the Lord Jesus says, no, throw this man out of court. I paid that debt on the cross. I paid that debt. Because that's who Jesus is for us. He is our holy place. He's the holy place so we can find rest for our weary souls. Because of him, all of our guilt has been removed. He is our high priest who never dies so we can remain in him forever. He's our holy place. In him, we are eternally safe and secure in our salvation. As Paul said in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, Christ is our strength. Christ is our strength. It says, so they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, Shechem is, is the Hebrew that means shoulder. Oh, what a picture. It's the picture of Christ upon whom we lean for support. Christ, our refuge, supports us when the avenger of death and judgment pursues us. As Paul said in Romans 5.10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Where does he live? He lives in us. Who is he? He's my eternal high priest. And how long is he going to live? Forever. I have refuge only in him. Roy Hessian, years ago, was a mentor in my life. Many of you know that. He meant a lot to me. I almost remember, I almost remember every phrase that he ever mentioned to me. But he brought a song one time in a conference. Could have been here. I don't remember when it was. The first time I'd ever seen old hymn. I'd never heard it sung in churches, but he brought it out. Oh, how it blessed me. Think of the words of this song. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus has bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall. Christ has redeemed us once for all. There on the cross, your burden upbearing. Thorns on his brow, your Savior is wearing. Never again, your sin need appall. You have been pardoned once for all. Now we are free. There's no condemnation. Jesus provides a perfect salvation. Come unto me, oh, hear his sweet call. Come, and he saves us once for all. You know that old course. Once for all, oh, sinner, receive it. You're not here to hear me sing. Once for all, oh, doubter, believe it. Cling to the cross. The burden will fall. Christ has redeemed us once for all. He's our refuge. Christ is our refuge. He's our holy place. We'll never be there our, ourselves. That's why he came to dot every I, cross every T of the law, and then go to the cross to pay the debt that we owed that he did not owe and we couldn't pay. He's our holy place. He's our strength. Christ is our strength. Thirdly, Christ is our friend. Christ is our friend. Love what he told the disciples. You're now my friends. 
When we're being pursued by the avenger of sin, Christ is the one who is our friend and ally. He's the one. He's the one who understands. Joshua 27. So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee in the hill country of Naphtali and Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah. The word Hebron means friend, community, or alliance. Christ is our ally when we are being pursued by the guilt of sin. We find our community only in Him. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's our solace. Christ is our holy place, our strength, our friend. But fourthly, Christ is our fortress. Christ is our fortress. In verse 8, beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben. The word Bezer means a fortress. So appropriate to speak of Christ. Nothing can penetrate, no accusation, no sin on our part can penetrate his protection of our salvation. Paul speaks of Christ in Colossians 2:3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When we are in him, we are protected from any and all that could threaten our salvation. Just like the, the people were protected in the cities of refuge in the Old Testament, we're protected not in a city, but in Christ in the new. He's our holy place, our strength, our friend, our fortress. Proverbs 18 and verse 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and are safe. You know, I, I don't know if I've used this illustration with you or not, but since I'm old, the elk. Elk do amazing things. By the way, if you haven't been by my office, I'll show you what one looks like. But an elk does many things that just speaks to us. I see such illustrations in nature. When the bull elk is threatened, and maybe it's a hunter, maybe it's a shot that missed, whatever it is, the cows will all come and herd around him and usher him out of eye, eye space. I mean, they, it gets him out. And it's amazing how that happens. I've seen it happen. You couldn't get a shot at that elk if you wanted to because if you missed it the first time, then those, elk, those cows will run around him and gather themselves around him to protect him. And I thought about how the Lord Jesus does. Anybody sinned this past week besides me? I think all of us understand that there are consequences to sin and the mercy of God he gives us to bear up under those consequences. But I want to tell you something. How many of you, when you have sinned, immediately have that old finger pointing at you and say, you couldn't be a Christian and do what you just did? The old avenger of death and judgment loves to point a finger how many times over the years I've had to help people understand their assurance of salvation. Oh, we were over in Africa years ago on a team, International Congress on Revival. And all of the Africans there that we were dealing with were bush country African pastors, and they came barefooted, and some of them had a, a piece of tire as a, as, a, as a sandal, and they came to here. And they don't believe that you can be assured of your salvation once you're saved. They believe you can lose your salvation, just like most of Europe does. And the pastor was up there preaching away, the guy that was before me, and I want to tell you, he preached on the 99 and the 1, and he preached on how he took that lamb and took it back. It was the most beautiful picture I've ever seen in my life. What he was trying to say is of that security, and he brought it out in a way that I can't even fully remember. All I know is this. It spoke to that crowd in such a way. If you've never heard an African sing, you've missed most of your life. 
man, what they've got, we don't have a clue. It's just there. And one of them stood up and said, oh, the blood of Jesus. And another one stood up and sung. And they go into a harmony. They go into a harmony with each other. Man, they saw it. And then they just started shouting. And over an hour and a half, it was just overwhelmingly filled with the presence of God and an understanding. They didn't hear, hear these words, but that Jesus was their refuge and that no accuser could ever point his finger in their face because the Lord Jesus guards that salvation that we have. Beautiful. Fifthly, Christ is our high, pla Christ is our high place. I love this. Beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad. The word Ramoth means heights or high place. What a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus. We dwell in the heights. Do you realize this morning we're dwelling spiritually and positionally in the heights looking down even though we're down here as strangers in exile? on this earth as Paul said in Ephesians 2 6 and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in Romans 8 he said he that called he justified he justified he sanctified and he goes on through and then he said he glorified anybody in here been glorified yet from me looking at you not a, nobody's even close <laughs> we hadn't got there yet but he already sees it finished he already sees it finished. He sees us already glorified. The book of Habakkuk, the prophet couldn't seem to understand why God was letting evil prevail in the world. Could be written today. But God has to do a work in the prophet so that he can get a different perspective. The prophet finally very humbly says in chapter 3 of Habakkuk, verse 19, the Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. In Christ, we're looking down and we're secure from the avenger of death. He's our holy place. He's our strength. He's our friend. He's our fortress. He's our high place. I was, I was going through a tough time one time and a friend of mine, who was a real encourager, came along and said, Wayne, how's you doing? I, 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 I betrayed myself by my countenance. And he looked at me and said, well, let me encourage you. I said, thank you. He said, keep on looking down, son. Keep on looking down. And he walked away. And I'm thinking, now that was real encouragement. Keep on looking down. And then it hit me what he was saying. We're seated in the heavens in Christ Jesus. We have hinds feet that can walk in the high places. We can get a perspective that, that nobody else can. And we understand that we're his and his alone. Finally, he's our, he's our captor and he's our rejoicer. In verse 8, Beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, they designated Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben and Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. The word Golan seems to mean exultation or joy. Christ is our joy while we are strangers on this earth. Knowing that we have an eternal home, as Abraham said, I'm seeking for a city not made with, with, with man's hands, but a city made of God. And it's in Him, and only in Him, we can find our rejoicing. Even when we fail, listen, we run to Him and we admit it, and the cleansing is immediate, but the consequences are still there. And we have to bear up under the consequences of wrong choices. But thank God for His grace and His mercy. That doesn't in any way alter our position 
in Christ, in God. And it's his joy that floods our souls. Not just joy, not frivolous at all. You can have tears streaming down your face and be full of this joy. Not something that's frivolous, but something that's internal. It is him and only in him that we find our rejoicing. So when we run to him, our refuge, he is our holy place. He is our strength and therefore our safety. He is our friend and ally. He is our fortress. He is our high place. And he is our rejoicing. So this morning as we begin to think toward now the Lord's Supper, why, what do we do at the Lord's Supper? Baptism pictures not only his death but his resurrection as we're, we're identified in him in the oldness and then in the newness of life. But the Lord's Supper is not that way. The Lord's Supper shows what he had to do in order to become our refuge here. How he died on the cross and we, we, we celebrate the bread and then we celebrate the cup, his blood, the body and the blood. We understand what it took for us to be safe, what it took for us to be secure eternally, what it took for us to be cleansed and forgiven of our sin. Somebody wrote this and it was anonymous. I don't know who it was. I'm glad we don't know who it is. I promise you it's, it's a probably one of our, our black preacher friends because they have a way of singing and a way of preaching us white folks will never touch. But I love what it says. What Jesus means to me. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised and brought healing. He was pierced and eased pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought life. He is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world can't understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. The leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The people couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. The New Age can't replace him. And the talk show hosts can't ridicule him away. He is light, love, longevity, and Lord. He's goodness, kindness, gentleness, and God. He's holy, righteous, mighty, powerful, and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. And his mind is on me. He's my redeemer. He's my savior. He's my God, and he is my peace. He is my joy. He is my comfort. He is my Lord, and he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love, his burden is light, and his goal is abundant life. I follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise, the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders, the overseer of the overcomers, and the sovereign Lord of all that was and is and is to come. And if that seems impressive to you, try this on for size. His goal is a relationship with me. He will never leave me, never forsake me, never mislead me, never forget me, never overlook me, and never cancel my appointment in his appointment book. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I fail, he forgives me. When I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm lost, he is the way. When I'm afraid, he is my courage. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he is with me. When I face persecution, he shields me. When I face problems, he comforts me. When I face loss, he provides for me. When I face death, he carries me home. He's everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and in every way. He is God. He is faithful. 
I am his and he is mine. My Father in heaven can whip the father of this world. So if you're wondering why I feel so secure, understand this. He said it, that settles it. God's in control, I'm on his side, and that means all is well with my soul. Every day is a blessing because he lives in me. That's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. He's our refuge. He is our refuge. In order to become our refuge, he had to do what we're going this morning to celebrate and appreciate about it. So I'm going to lead you in a word of prayer as I do this. The ushers are going to get up and go out and prepare, and we'll just go with the flow here as the, the Lord leads us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that he truly is our refuge. Oh, Father, thank you. Lord, every one of us down here mess up daily. And Lord, we sin and we come before you and we thank you that it is the blood of Jesus that has already forgiven us, but now it cleanses us and renews fellowship with you. And Lord, thank you for your mercy. It helps us bear up under the consequences of the wrong choices that we make. No, Father, as we come this morning to partake of the Lord's Supper, I pray, Father, I just ask you that you would help us to understand what we've been talking about this morning. We begin to realize that by the body and the blood that he shed for us on the cross, how, how the Lord Jesus has become our refuge. And that he's our, not only the city, he's the high priest that never dies. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that has never bowed and admitted what they already know, that they're sinners, born that way, Lord, I pray that they will also realize that Lord Jesus came into the world in which he created in, in order to become God incarnate and to go to the cross as a man to pay the debt of sin that we owed. And I pray, Father, nobody will walk out of this place this morning that doesn't know you personally through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I, I, I can't make that happen. But Father, I pray your spirit will speak to people who are here. They're facing eternal separation from you that don't understand that Jesus is the refuge they can run to. Lord, we praise you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.